God is preparing his church in this hour. And he's got to get the church back on track with what it means to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? The Gospel of Mark was written for that purpose, for us to understand what it means to follow Jesus. Mark is so creatively writing in his Gospel the interaction now as the pinnacle. Once Jesus has been realized by the Twelve that he is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, God responds and puts into Peter that knowledge and Jesus says, you are Petros, the rock, the, the pebble, but upon your confession, the rock of confession, that I am the Messiah. That's what I will build my church on. It's faith in what Jesus has done and who he is that we are saved. And so what Mark does now is, as Jesus is heading now to Jerusalem, he is going to present the next level of revelation as to who Messiah is and what must be done. Jesus now is pleased that the disciples recognize him as the Messiah. Now he needs to let them know he has come to die. And they can't handle that. And so in three occasions, the Gospel of Mark tells us Jesus describes to them the way he's going to die their reaction, and then he gives three teachings on what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's where I'm taking you this morning. We looked at it last week, but if you'll remember, Jesus said this after they knew he was the Messiah and confessed it. He said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days he will rise again. Now, uh, that's not exactly what they expected to hear after they figured out he's the Messiah, he's the coming king, he's going to reign, he's going to bring his kingdom to earth, destroy Rome, and establish Israel once again. So what is the response to this message? Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Jesus, you're wrong. You need my help in understanding. You see, Father has given me knowledge of you and what you're supposed to do. And what did Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. You're thinking with human reasoning and understanding, right? Father God gave him a revelation, but the devil uh, used his mouth. How many times does that happen to us? Thank God we're saved, but how many of you know your mouth's still available to the enemy? God forbid. And so that's the response. Jesus has to rebuke him. And then Jesus gives the first teaching as to what does it mean to be a disciple. He says this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. So he says this, number one, you must deny yourself. You know, it's interesting. The, the approach to preaching and evangelizing the gospel isn't to appeal to the self. We've turned evangelism is to, into, this is the best thing you could ever do for you. 
God will provide for you. He'll give you tenfold back. He'll give you money. He'll give you a new car. You'll have a new life. Life will be grand. And we appeal to the flesh to bring people into the kingdom, which is the wrong thing to do. Because what must be done is you must deny yourself. The reason we're in such a condition that we are is because we've been running our lives ourselves. That don't work. So we must deny ourselves. And the way we deny ourselves is to take up, lift up, carry the cross. You must be identified with Christ at the cross. We have come to die with Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6 tells us that unless you're identified with him on that cross, you will not have a new life. You can't have a new life till the old one is what? Put to death, dead. So we must deny ourselves, take up our cross, and then follow him. Where was Jesus headed? To Jerusalem, to the cross. That is a disciple of the Lord. Self-denial, which is so hard for Americans to do because America's all about me, the United States of me. We live our lives to improve our understanding of ourselves and bless ourselves and get everything we can when the gospel is the complete opposite. Isn't it a trick of the enemy to appeal to your flesh when the one thing the flesh needs is to be crucified? We'll never know a new life unless we put the old one to death. Pick up your cross. Time goes on, a few events take place, and then Jesus says this again. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise again. You see, we forget that the disciples were told this very plainly. And when it happened, they were like, what just happened? But how many of us have been given how many promises by God? And when the trouble comes, whoop, it's out of our head, we forgot. So he tells them very clearly. And what is the response? But they didn't understand what he was saying. And they were afraid to ask him. Right? What does this mean he's going to die? What is... What is, they're going to kill him, and then he's going to rise from the dead. What is that about? Peter, ask him. I ain't asking him. Man, last time I asked him, he called me Satan and told me to get at the back of the line. I ain't doing that again. Took me how long to get to the front of the line. I ain't going to the back. James, James, you ask him. Uh, no, I don't want to. Get John. He's the youngest. Ask him. He's always putting his head on his chest anyways. You ask him. Uh, I don't feel led of Jesus to ask right now. <laughs> Thomas, you ask him. Oh, we're all going to die. <laughs> all right, forget it. Nobody wants to ask Jesus. We're just going to, whatever. Right, Lord? <laughs> okay. So it says that they keep going. It says they went on to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, hey, Fellas, what were you discussing on the way? And they kept silent again. And uh, they don't answer Jesus, but Mark tells us Jesus knew what they were discussing. It says that they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Oh, this is, this is great. This is great. 
First of all, Peter rebukes Jesus because, you know, obviously this doesn't line up with the theology I understand of Messiah, and I got rebuked for that. Now he tells us again he's going to die and he's going to rise in three days, but we can't figure what out that, what that means. You ask him. I'm not going to ask him. Why don't you ask him? Because I don't want to ask him. Well, I'm not asking him. Well, Peter, you should ask him. You're the favorite one. Well, yeah, I get to go into all the houses and go to the different places. I think I am the best one. And James and John are like, ho, 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 ho. Wait a minute, Peter. Let's not get too excited. We got two of us, huh? Right, left hand. Woo-hoo. Huh? We're the sons of thunder. We have gone in those places too. We think we're better. That's what it says. It says they argued. Can you imagine the 12 apostles arguing who's better Who's closer to Jesus? Hey, look at my garment. I got more dust from Jesus because I walk close to him than you do. Yeah, but I understand the depth of his ministry. Huh? What do you think, Thomas? We're all going to (laughs) die. Judas, what do you think? I don't know what that dude thought. So they're arguing, and so then Jesus gives the next teaching. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and a servant to all. This is Christianity, to serve some. We would prefer some, and we would prefer to pick who we're going to serve. Right? You didn't know who you were going to sit next to in church today. <laughs> you didn't know who you are going to sit next to on the bus. You didn't know who you are going to work next to as a co-worker. You didn't know who you were going to be in the grocery line with. But guess whom you're a servant of? The Lord Jesus Christ who died for all. Therefore, you are a servant of the Lord and must serve all. No matter how they dress, no matter how they talk, no matter how they look, you're to serve the gospel, you're to serve the love of Christ, and to share hope and love in Jesus' name. If you want to be first, you 12 guys who want to be elevated, you must become last. Wow, that's rough. We all want recognition. We all want identity. And what will happen is if we don't feel like we have any ability, then the devil comes in and then we give the pity party. We're the worst. Jesus doesn't even know my name. He doesn't care about me. How many of you have gone on that roller coaster ride? Right? But I want you to know something. You have a personal relationship with Jesus. He is writing your story personally. It's not based on anybody else. He's been with you for the ups, for the downs, for the ins and the outs. It's you and him through all of this. He knows every thought. He's numbered every hair on your head. He cares about your every heartbeat. He hasn't forsaken you. He hasn't forgotten about you. You matter to him. And with that knowledge, I can become the least. With my recognition from my Father who knows me and loves me, I don't need a title. I don't need an identity. But what's happened in the church? We've given titles. We've got to have a title. This is Apostle Evangelist uh, Super Duper Bobby. Uh, This is that guy. This is Rockstar Pete. This is, we all have titles. We all have this. 
I, you ever go, I, I go to these different meetings with different pastors and leaders, and they all have all these titles. I feel like I'm with the 12. I'm better than you are. You are. Good for you. Jesus, help me. But I know he knows us. What would happen if a revival came that was nameless and faceless? It didn't matter to the denomination. didn't matter to the worship band. It didn't matter who was leading it. It didn't matter who was going to it. But just the people of Christ. Oh, wait. It's already begun. You want to be the greatest, be the least. And so time goes on. And Jesus tells them one more time, each time articulating more a description of what's going to happen. And so he gathers them once again as they're closer to Jerusalem. And in Mark 10, he says this, The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and then they will deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, they'll spit on him, they'll flog him, and they'll kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Wow. They knew this. They heard this. Yet even when they ran into the empty tomb, they couldn't figure out what was going on. It wasn't until he appeared before them that they finally get it. Yet he taught them three times. He preached to them three times about his death. Jesus himself knew exactly how this was going to happen. How did Jesus know that? I'm thinking he read Scripture. Because each of these was written in Scripture. And oh, by the way, who was the voice that spoke Scripture? Jesus. He said he's going to, the chief priests, the scribes, they're going to condemn me. I'll be in court with them. They will find me guilty, and then they will deliver me to the Gentiles or the Roman government, and Rome will mock me, they'll spit on me, and then they will beat me and whip me and finally kill me, but after three days I will rise from the dead. Wow, praise God. Amen. We have the privilege of knowing after the fact. They were stunned by what was taking place. Now let's see their reaction. James and John said to him, Grant us to sit on your right hand and left hand when you come into glory. Great response, guys. Just what we needed to hear. Right? I'm wondering, I mean, I'm making fun of them when in reality, it's us. <laughs> How many times... Do we hear sermons? How many times have we read scripture? How many times do we know the word of God and we choose the wrong questions and the wrong path? Now in Luke, it tells us that it was James and John's mother that asked Jesus, I want you to consider my boys. So when you come into your glory, now Jesus responds to James and John, they're called the sons of thunder. Because earlier on, when the Samaritans weren't responding, they said, do you want us to call down lightning from heaven and kill them? Yeah. I'm wondering how many times Jesus went, oy vey, I got to hand over to these guys. He says to them, are you able to drink the cup that I am going to drink? And they reply, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. And Jesus doesn't rebuke or doesn't say, he said, yes, you will. 
How many of you know that this James was the first to die as a martyr very early on in the church? It had to have completely shocked the twelve. I mean, they had lost Judas and they brought on Matthias and then within about ten years, James is thrown off the wall of Jerusalem and beheaded. Wow. He took the cup, didn't he? Interestingly enough, John, the youngest, was the last to have given his life for Jesus Christ. And he says, but it is not up to me to decide who will sit at my right and my left. That is my father's decision, and he will decide. And he goes on, and he skips over that part uh, and gives this last teaching on discipleship. But whosoever, whoever would be great among you, must be your servant, diakonos, your deacon. And whoever would be first among you must be a slave, doulos, to all. That's the attitude of a disciple of Jesus. To forsake yourself and esteem others more highly than you. We're all so insecure, we can't handle that. But when you're dead in Christ, you have no rights. We seem to forget this. And again, that American attitude of it's my right, I demand it, bubbles up. But how many of you know when you have come to Christ, you have died, and you no longer have rights, and you have become a slave to the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, slavery is not a good thing. In this country, we've seen it horrible, horribly. But to be a slave to a beneficial master, to be slave to a benevolent Lord, to be slave to a loving Father is another story because He provides all that you need. He pours out all that you have asking for. He, he cares for your every need and every emotion. He is your Lord and your master. Many of us don't know how to serve a Lord and a master. And we're to be his slaves, slaves to love, slaves to the gospel, slave to his will and to his purpose. And what comes into action against that is our self-will. This is the number one issue. If you're to put these teachings together, this is discipleship 101. This is the foundational thing of what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus. We have everybody who says they're a Christian. But that doesn't mean anything anymore. We have people who are Christians that do not obey the word of the Lord, that do not follow his commands, that do not adhere to his teachings, yet they use the name. But what does it mean to be a follower of Christ Jesus and his disciple? Number one, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow him. You will not be first, you must become last and a servant of all, and if you were to be great, you must be a servant and a slave to everyone by the will of God. Anybody ready to sign up? Why would you sign up for this? You're going to lose your identity. No, 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 no. I didn't have an identity. The only identity I had was a sinner. When I came to Christ and died, the true me came to life. Life was breathed into me and my identity became known. God is calling me to become me and to grow from a seed into a flower of his beauty and his making. Now I have identity. 
I sign up for this because I don't need to be first because I've got eternal life. I'm secure in my salvation. I know who my Lord is. I'm willing to give up this old tent for what is yet to be mine in Christ Jesus. I've got a better life on my worst day than a sinner does. This is salvation. Now, I want you to understand something. This is nothing different than what Christ Himself did. Everything He said He was about to do and what was going to take place, that's why He could teach this. Paul couldn't put it any better in Philippians 2 than this. Have this mind that is in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality God something to be grasped. Oh, he was first. He was above all. But he loosed, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on that cursed cross. Jesus is not asking you to do anything He didn't already do. And because He did do it, the result is a resurrected life for us. We saw Scott get buried today, his old man put to death. Thank God by salvation it was already done. That was just being illustrated for us. He then rose in newness of life and became a son of God, alive. This is what it means to follow Christ. And this is what Jesus is bringing back to the church. She's forgotten this. She went shopping at cheap dime stores. She dressed herself in the foolishness of the world. She's been following after other voices, wandering, thirsty, and hungry. She's made her garments filthy by the world. But Jesus is saying, come back, my beloved. Come out of her, my bride. Come away with me. Come to the cross and die so that you may be born again. Of course, we're born again as the bride of Christ, but he wants us to follow true discipleship. And it means denying yourself and following him. There is a theologian that understood this greatly. His name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Young Lutheran minister, born in Germany under a nation that was under the the leadership of the Antichrist embodiment, Hitler himself, who began to, by the power of Satan, destroy the people of Israel. He wanted to wipe them off. How many of you know God's not done with that nation yet? God's got a plan for that nation. And Hitler tried to destroy them. He was gaining such power that every authority and power in the world had to fight against him. And and Dietrich Bonhoeffer knew that this evil had to be stopped. And he had joined a group to plan to kill, to plot to kill Hitler. And he knew that if he was to do that, he would be giving his life for that sake. And he knew that murder was wrong, but this man had to be stopped for the justice of God to be performed. But it may cost him his life. It did. But he understood the cost of discipleship. He knew that he had to serve by giving his life for the sake of others. And he penned this in the cost of discipleship. He said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Now how appealing is that? What do we do in evangelism? We try to dress it up as pretty as it can be. When in reality, 
This world wants to escape themselves. Why do you think so many are committing suicide? Suicide rates are so high because they can't find any way out. But I'm telling you, there's a way out. It is death to yourself, but it's through the cross. You'll find a new life. You'll find hope and a future. You don't have to kill yourself. Just come to the cross and let the Lord give you a new life. Come and die to your pain. Come and die to your sorrow. Come and be released from your sin and your confusion and have the mind of Christ planted in you and the love of God ministering to your heart. It's the call to abandon your attachments to this world. It is the dying of the old man which results because you've encountered Christ in the cross. We will never stop preaching the cross. We will, it's the doorway. It is the entryway of salvation. It is the way that we're to pick up every day. If you want the power of the resurrection in your life, you've got to go through the cross. Amen? This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. I would ask you, my brothers and sisters, have you picked up your cross? Have you denied yourself? Have you humbled yourself and become a servant? Are you a slave for Christ Jesus? These are the principles of discipleship. When you learn them, you'll find freedom. When you learn them, you'll find beauty and life. Let's bow our heads.